0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, everybody. I hope that everybody had a wonderful holiday. It is an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. My name is Sean Bono, and uh, I love serving here at CCC. And for every door that the Lord has opened here at CCC. I feel truly blessed to be able to have a place to do work for the kingdom of God, and uh, I've had the pleasure of wearing a few different hats. Tyler mentioned a few of them, life group leader, youth group leader. Uh, I was an interim youth pastor for a short period of time, and more recently I've been taking a little bit more involvement with the life group ministry here, and I'm not sure if I have an official title with the church, but Pastor Tony has referred to me as the life group director, so if he says it, that must mean that that's it. I don't officially work for the church, uh, but uh, I actually have a full-time job as a consultant and analyst for a staffing solutions company. But my passion, though, is actually being a teacher for the kingdom of God. And so much so that down the road, I believe the Lord's going to call me into full-time ministry someday. So I've been preparing for that, and I've been pursuing my Master's of Divinity degree since 2013. Recently, Pastor Chris, he invited me to speak this morning for the 4th of July Sunday on the topic of freedom and to preach on anything that the Spirit led me to. And I immediately got both excited and scared at the same time, because usually I've jumped on a bandwagon of a sermon series that has already been going on, or I've gotten with a team to prayerfully consider the direction, of where the message would be going. So I wanted to take the open invitation seriously. And while planning today's message and through the prayers of asking for the Lord for guidance, he surprised me with the primary text of Hosea 2 this morning. Now the book of Hosea, it's certainly one of the more unique books of the Bible. Hosea is chronologically the last prophet for the Northern nation of Israel before the Assyrian invasion where they come and take everybody away into exile. Right, because Israel splits into two, two kingdoms, northern nation of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Now we certainly know that the southern kingdom of Judah, after northern nation of Israel uh, uh, is uh, uh, invaded by Assyria, the southern kingdom still goes on for another 135 years. And it was noticeable that this was the last days of the northern nation of Israel during the prophet Hosea's lifespan. And one could argue that actually, this might have actually been one of the most morally corrupt periods of time for the northern nation of Israel. And to get an idea of what was going on, we can look at 2 Kings chapter 17 to get a glimpse of what was going on. So this is verses five through 18. and, and if. You have your Bibles, you'll see this is a huge span of Scripture. We're not going to read the entire thing because it's just such a huge laundry list of items. So, what we've done is we've done a little bit of the trim work here, and it might help to read actually on the screen for just this passage here. So, this is sort of like fast forward reading in Scripture. So, 2 Kings 17, verses 5 through 18. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, their God. They worshipped other gods. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord, their God, that were not right. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord, their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statues he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. That was the ESPN highlights of... (laughs) that's piece of scripture. So that kind of gives you a context of what was going on and what Hosea was up against. And when things are this bad, one can't help but wonder how one can possibly be called to help an entire nation understand the depravity that they were exhibiting. And not only that, but also to have the nation be encouraged to repent and return and turn from their ways and instead seek the Lord. For those of you who are familiar with Hosea, you'll know in the first chapter of the book that the prophet is receiving a word from the Lord to marry Gomer, who was a woman he already knew was extremely promiscuous. And that word I use from the NIV is actually being quite kind. Some translations use the word harlot and other translations use less family friendly words, if you're catching my drift. So from there, the happy couple, They had three children. And the book proceeds to record a series of events where Gomer continuously leaves Hosea and the prophet painstakingly retrieves her each time, even paying for her debts to get his wife back. And throughout the book, this relationship between Gomer and Hosea actually serves as a painful analogy to the relationship that was existing between God and Israel during that time. Israel was shamelessly politically promiscuous during this time. God was pained so much by Israel's lack of faithfulness in the relationship, that the only way he could possibly convey his pain was in a manner that humans could understand by calling Hosea to this life. Now, generally speaking, a prophet receives a word from the Lord and it's their calling to convey that word to the people that they live with during that time. By calling Hosea to live out his marriage with Gomer, it allowed the prophet to experience that raw hurt that was similar to what the Lord was experiencing. It allowed Hosea to generate the feelings that God was experiencing. It granted Hosea the opportunity to come up with the words that could somehow try and communicate the raw emotion that the Lord was experiencing about this relationship between him and Israel. While there's so much content jam packed in the book of Hosea, today's message is actually just a standalone. So we had to be focusing here today. And so we're just going to look, focus in on the analogy that I mentioned that analogy between God and Israel. And that lands us in chapter two of Hosea. The entirety of this chapter is dedicated to this analogy. And throughout the course of the chapter, the Lord explains to Hosea the course of actions that he'll be taking in order for Israel to properly come back to his care. And perhaps for the sake of today's conversation, it might actually be easier to start at the end, to see where the Lord is going with his relationship with Israel, and then to go back, kind of like with a wedding rehearsal, you know, where folks kind of come up on stage at first, and you see where everybody stands, and sees, and when everybody's good with that, then you go back to the beginning, then you retrace your steps back up. We're we're gonna kind of do that today. So we're gonna retrace his steps after going to the end first. So if we could, Let's begin with verse 14 of Hosea 2, and then read through verse 20. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I'll lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, You'll call me my husband. You'll no longer call me my master. I'll remove the names of the bales from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land so that all may lay down in safety." I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Some translations say, and you will know the Lord. This is a beautiful description of an amazing relationship that the Lord will have with Israel, it's a description that portrays mutual trust, loyalty, dedication, and faith in one another. God persuades her, leads her into the wilderness, where she acknowledges and truly accepts that she needs to be dependent on the Lord, and that calls back to the time in Exodus when Moses led the people out of Egypt, and uh, where God's people truly came into a season of spiritual growth, where they acknowledge that they were completely dependent on the Lord. On one hand, it's a season of the Israelites that were extremely complicated and difficult. But on the other hand, it's also a highlight in the history of the Israelites because it fully pointed to the glory of God and how powerfully he moved at rescuing them from their captivity in Egypt. This piece of scripture from Hosea here, it also is a description of restoration, where lands lost to the enemy are reinstated and also to lands that were cursed are now blessed. That valley of Achor there, I I actually never really remember what that was, so I dug into it for today. That actually calls to uh, a story in the book of Joshua, chapters 6 and 7, where an Israelite man named Achan, he took and hoarded items for himself from the treasury of the house of the Lord. Now, this is going back to The book of Joshua, we're all familiar with the story of Jericho, where they walked around the city, uh, blew their horns, shouted, walls crumbled. They then went in and declared victory on the city. Well, the items that they got from that victory were gold, silver, and other things. And they collected them, and they were supposed to be devoted to the Lord to be in a treasury for the house of the Lord. Now, because things that were devoted to the Lord were taken by Achan, God knew about it. And Israel started to lose some battles after the Battle of Jericho, even though it was only one man who took things from the treasury of the Lord. It's important to note that in Old Testament times, the moral impurity of a nation was affected by the moral purity of those within the nation. And this is calling back to the Old Testament times of the sacrificial system. This is why they had that in place, because the idea was, is that if a lot of people started to be morally impure in the land, that would sort of add up And then the Lord wouldn't want to live there because he doesn't want to live in a place where it's morally impure. So the sacrificial system was put into place to hopefully balance that out. But of course, we all know that that sacrificial system got abused, and that's another story for a different day. So even if a few members, or even one guy, took things from the treasury of the Lord, this was considered an act of moral impurity that the entire nation was responsible for. And that's why Israel started to lose some battles. So after they began losing those battles and they started to wonder what was going on, God gave them a word. And he said here in Joshua chapter 7, verse 12, that I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. In other words, God basically says to them, hey, if you can't devote the things that I said are to be devoted to me, then let's just go ahead and get rid of them. So that you're not tempted by them anymore. See, God didn't need the riches and the plunders of war to help the Israelites win. And sure, maybe they could have been a use later on down the road. So it didn't hurt to set those treasures aside into a treasury. And have them dedicated to the Lord so that they could be used for his glory another time. But they weren't to be touched until that time came. But Achan, he he was pulling the trigger too soon. He didn't want to honor the Lord's command. Instead, he came along and took items from that treasury for his own profit and stored them in his own house. You know, when I was studying this piece of scripture again for today, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, with Achan's behavior, I started to get a little bit judgmental, like, Achan, come on, the Lord said the stuff is devoted for him. Why did you touch it? But then I caught myself and I asked the question of how often I act like Achan in my day-to-day life. You know, the Lord mentions in our text today in Hosea 2 and 12, that Israel, she's got the audacity to say that her vines and her fig trees and hers were all obtained by her lovely political relationships that she had at the time. And so I thought, how often have I gone through my day-to-day job and thought that everything, all my accomplishments and successes in my day job were because of me and my talents. When in fact, in the first place, it was God who gave me those spirits, spiritual gifts and those talents to be able to work the job in the first place. All, the Lord also mentions here in, Our text, Hosea 2 and 8, that Israel, she didn't even acknowledge or notice that it was God himself who gave her all of the resources, which she ended up squandering away on idols. And I thought, how often have I burned my paycheck on things I wanted first, instead of needed, instead of tithing to the Lord first? Could these things that take precedence in my life over my household's tithe, could they be idols that I have in my life? The more that I thought about the more I realized I was actually more like Achan than I like to admit. You and I are blessed with good things that are given to us from the Lord. And some of those things, they're to be devoted to God. They could be a portion of our finances, our job, our home. It could be different. The Lord has a way of communicating that to us because it's different for everybody. But if we're to abuse those gifts, if we're to squander our finances through gambling or excessive credit card usage, If we're to squander our time through excessive procrastination or the other end of the extreme where we just continuously book our schedule to where we have time for absolutely nothing else, if we're to squander or hoard the resources that have been given to us which were actually meant for others, then just like the story here of Achan and the Israelites, the Lord's going to help us and He's going to pull us back from that which is distracting us. We may need to be called into a wilderness-like situation similar to the Israelites here, in Hosea 2, because it helps us realize that we need to be completely dependent on the Lord. Until we're completely dependent on God, we won't be able to understand what true freedom is. After all, if we have that inner aching that's tempting us to abuse or misuse the resources that were meant for others, it's likely we're going to be enslaved by them. Hosea says in his book later on in chapter 4 and 10 that they shall eat but not be satisfied. We develop a lust for more money because we become convinced by the evil one that what we have isn't enough. We entertain the fantasies of other partners because we become convinced that what the Lord has given to us, our spouse, is somehow not enough. We sign up our children for five different things each. Then we find out that we don't have time for anything else, including the Lord on Sundays or during the week. This isn't freedom. Not knowing the Lord is a foundational theme of Hosea's prophecy against the Israelites in his book. And if you and I don't make an effort to know the Lord, then we won't be able to live that life of freedom. We would be trapped by the chaos of the world and we'd be unable to live as he truly intended. He wants us to rest in his grace and his safety. But in order to do that, we've got to stop misusing or abusing what he's given to us. And once we do that, then something special is going to happen. And we read it here in verse 18. Three things will actually happen. We're no longer going to serve idols. Right, he says in the text, he'll make a covenant with us. Number two, peace will be established in our lives. Right, he says, bow and sword and battle he will abolish. And then number three, we'll be able to lie down in God's safety. That sounds amazing. And then finally, as we see in verse 20, then we shall know the Lord. It means we're not to follow in the example of Achan, but instead be good stewards Of the resources that we've been blessed with. But how can we do that? If we find ourselves in a season of life that's similar to Achan, where we're misusing the blessings of the Lord, or similar to Israel, where we're disregarding the Lord and instead serving idols that we might have in our lives, how do we get back on track? How do we right ourselves before it's too late? Well, let's go back to our text for today. So, we saw where the Lord was ending up with his relationship with Israel, right? That was verses 14 through 20. So we're going to go back to the beginning or early part in the chapter and we're going to see what he has planned for Israel. So this is verses six and seven. And then right after that, we're going to read verses nine and 10. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Therefore, I'll take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I'll expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. In other words, God's unable to connect with the Israelites unless drastic measures are taken to realign everyone. And likewise, if we're anything like Israel, God's going to protect us from ourselves. He's gonna step in and do something with that sinful habit or that activity that we're constantly sinning with. In our lives, this might look like someone finding our internet history browser or somebody looking in our bank account to see where our family funds are being spent or when somebody that really depended on us, where we miss a commitment that we promised them and we failed and we missed it for them. These actions that happen in our lives, these are actually efforts of pruning that the Lord does on our hearts, This is when the Lord trims back those unnecessary branches of our vines so that the proper nutrients can be redirected to where they should be going in the first place. We might think that we're being punished because we're being prevented from doing the sinful activities that we like to do. But if you think about it, if these things weren't spiritually healthy for us or for those around us, then maybe we shouldn't be having them in the first place. All of this that's being described here It's just another way of saying that we need to repent. In other words, to turn away from the sinful behaviors that are preventing us from having a relationship with Christ. Repentance is to to turn away from those sinful behaviors that prevent us from having a relationship with Christ. Now, I, I can't help but pause here on verse 10, just for a moment where it says that no one will take her out of my hands. That phrase of being in the Lord's hand, it rang a bell for me and immediately reminded of the thought of John chapter 10, Verses 27 to 28, when Jesus says, My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The juxtaposition of these two verses side by side is so striking because it's the fact that we'll always be in the hands of the Lord. Will you be in the hands of the Lord because you're one of his sheep and call on his name and rest in his safety and hear his voice? Or will you be in his hand because you're lacking in submission and abusing the gifts that he's given to you and ask you to be a good steward over? We have a choice available to us. Should we decide to purposefully neglect the kingdom of God on a habitual basis? Either we turn toward the Lord and begin the process of repenting today by our own volition. Or, there a day will come where God himself will get involved and protect us from ourselves through divine intervention. You know, it's funny, we want the relationship with Jesus Christ that's explained here in verses 14 through 20. But yet at the same time, we want it without also committing to the earlier section of text that's described in verses six through 10 that covers repentance. But God loves you and me so much that it it pains him to see us living in sin. And we can't get that peace, that wholeness, that safety that's described in verse 18 without first going through that phase of repentance. But he's not a God that micromanages us. You know, it's sort of like pulling weeds from a garden. A couple weeks back, I went on a retreat with seven other guys from this church. And we went to a cottage that we rented about 30 miles north of Grand Rapids, it was an awesome trip. But one of the things that we did on the retreat was that we visited a local church and we served them. So we had eight guys and we could serve for about three hours. So we were able to basically bless a church with 24 man hours to help them with things on the property or around the property that they needed help on. And one of the three projects that we helped was that we actually pulled weeds for the church because it was actually quite a large campus. So at first we would come across these little tiny weeds that were like little sprouts. You know, whenever you try and pick them, it would actually break at the stem. You can't really get them because they're not mature enough to where you can't pull the root out. So, yeah, they'll probably come back, but at least when the next person comes along and picks them, it should be quite easy to keep up with them. And then, among those small, tiny weeds, we come across your normal sized weed. You know, those kinds that were large enough that if you got down at the base and you picked it just right, you got the whole thing with it all together. These took a little bit more effort to pull. It took more time, and sometimes you got to dig a little bit into the soil with your fingers to make sure you get that, that root. But when you got the weed out, a little divot would be created. And the area of the garden where it used to be was disrupted by the weed, and the landscape was shifted by the work that we were doing in the garden. Well, I was going around the perimeter with one of the other guys, and then there was this partition fence sort of a thing, and I didn't know it was behind it until I finally made my way around there. And then I looked behind there, I saw it was the air-conditioned units. You know, Usually, folks hide that with a partition fence of some sort. Well, I saw there was some weeds there, but then I saw there was this monstrous, huge, massive weed. I mean, I thought it was a bush at first, when I, and then I approached it. I'm like, "This thing is just a huge version of the other little weeds that were right next to it." I couldn't believe it. And you know, maybe perhaps the individuals that worked or volunteered at the church, maybe they just didn't get around there that often because it was hidden behind there. And I know it wasn't a plant or a bush because nobody plants bushes or things like that behind a fence to be hidden so the weed was actually right next to an air conditioning unit i mean it was touching the air conditioning unit so maybe right now it wasn't doing anything but if that sucker was growing for another year to two or three years it could possibly do something to that air conditioning unit. i I don't know so it was time for this thing to come out so i like i bent down i heaved to and fro for like 20 30 seconds of Brute for it. I mean, so that tells you how big of a weed it was, a strong, super strong guy like myself, you know. So, I was just, I was rocking this thing back and forth for that long, and then finally, I pulled this thing out. There was a massive ball of weeds and dirt at the bottom, but I tell you what, the, the ground from where I pulled it, there was a huge crater where it used to be. The massive hole was there, and you could tell that some major gardening work had been done there, but the fact of the matter is that the weed was gone. Even though the landscape had been shifted tremendously, the area was better off now than what it used to be. The church can now come behind me, lay some mulch, some stones, to prevent something like that from being growing again. With that weed gone, and when the weeds of sin are pulled out of our lives, the amount of landscape that is shifted in our lives is directly proportional to how long we let the weed grow there in the first place before it was pulled out. It might be hidden back where the air conditioning units are, in a place where we don't like to invite people. But there will come a day when the Lord himself, or he will send somebody to come along to pull that weed out. And once that weed is pulled, it's like us being brought into a wilderness-like situation where we become completely dependent on the Lord. If we already knew and wanted to be in, in his safety, we would have already taken it by now. Just like it says in verse 18, but the weed grows, and if it does grow, I should say, to a certain size where the Lord can't ignore it anymore, then He's going to protect us from ourselves and pull that weed to help us realize how much we need Him. He loves us so much, He wants the best for us. Just like if you have a child, there's a lot of parents here that is entering their adult years, you don't want them to do activities that are sinful in nature or morally wrong. It pains you to see them do things that could be hurting themselves or those around them because. You know how good it can be for them if they just simply follow the word of God and use it as a beacon to guide them through life. God's got the same stance, except in here there's one distinct importance, is that uh, where we earthly parents, we don't have infinite wisdom and knowledge and divine intervention. He does and he can orchestrate those things. This topic, I know it might be hitting home for a few parents here who might be going through this exact same scenario. I just wanted to let you know that as seen here in in our scripture here in Hosea 2, God will intervene sooner or later out of a motivation of love and not punishment. So I just want to encourage you today that the Lord is hearing your prayers. He's able to orchestrate a divine intervention that's going to give him the glory and bring restoration to the relationship. It doesn't have to be your child. It could be a friend. It could be a family member that you know of, that your heart is breaking for. Keep being that prayer warrior. Keep standing strong to fight for their spiritual freedom. As that video mentioned when it opened, we're incredibly blessed to have the political freedom of living here in the United States of America. But political freedom and spiritual freedom are two completely different things. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were free to enjoy the entire garden within the bounds of what the Lord had given them Or in other words, everything but the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And just like Adam and Eve, we're invited to enjoy his creation as well. The only difference now is that today we've just got more trees of knowledge of good and evil, more temptations. He gives us his entire creation and a user manual through which to enjoy it called the Bible. And yet we're still tempted by those temptation fruit, those forbidden fruits that God tells us not to take from The good news today, though, is that we no longer have to live like Achan. We no longer have to. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, you and I have got the ability to declare victory against the temptations of the forbidden fruits. Satan may have been cunning enough to sway Adam and Eve, but if we get behind the unshakable love of Jesus Christ, the devil stands absolutely no chance against the mighty power of the Son of God. You too have access to that power. No longer do you have to be enslaved. No longer do you have to be consumed by those nightly, fleshly temptations that haunt you. No longer do you have to fight this battle alone with Christ in the equation. You have angel armies by your side. As we're wrapping up today, if, if you... Or, or someone else that you know is close to you is being held by a sin that's imprisoning your soul or their soul, can we, can we pray with you today? We'd love to hear your story. We, we have members of our prayer team where it's their passion to be able to uplift you or someone that you love and care about in prayer to share the spiritual load with you to encourage you and help remind you that you are not alone in this battle. So we're going to have team members up front here. If you're ready to claim your freedom from the devil's grasp and repent from a sin that's shackling your life, we'd be honored to share this victorious moment with you today. Or if you'd like to pray for someone that you know, whether a family member or a friend of yours that we can help intercede for, we'd be honored to join you in prayer and cry out to the Lord alongside you for that person that your heart is breaking for. I'm gonna pray and dismiss in a moment. And and as I pray, we can have some team members walk on up to join us. And and if you'd like to walk up as well, as I pray, you're most welcome to, to join us in the front. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for today. Lord, we cry out, we want to know you today. We're done being spiritually promiscuous with idols in our lives. We ask for protection from misusing or abusing the resources that you blessed us with and stand against the aching like temptations that Satan throws our way. Lord, we desire the peace and safety of a covenant with you. Because of that, we ask for the strength to repent from the sins that are preventing us from having a relationship with you. We ask for the perseverance to stick to the commitments that we're making today in the spirit for you. And Lord, we give you all the honor and the glory and praise in your son's mighty and precious name. Amen. It was an honor to be with you this morning. Please take our invitation for prayer for either yourself or for someone that you know that you'd like to pray over today. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.